I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. I wanna welcome everybody to another episode of the Design to Heal podcast with Dr. Ben Raw and just your average Jeff asking questions of the experts, hanging out with my man, my friend. How's it yeah. going, Dr. Ben? Well, it's going good, but enough about us, right, Jeff? People don't get on this show to listen to us. They <laughs> like to hear uh, the great people that we get to get, come on, have come on and, and pick their brains and hear their perspective and share truth with us. One of those people has become a, I don't know if we want to say famous or infamous, infamous but uh uh, she's her name has come up a lot in these last bit. Uh, Dr. Jessica Rose, PhD, um, and her kind of claim to fame or what she's known most for right now is um, her incredible detailed analysis of the VAERS data, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. Um, her background, her PhD, and I, I, I'm going to actually make her say it, but she's this is this is what you do. You you're, you have a doctorate in analyzing you know right data and bio data, so we need somebody like you to help us sift through this. So. So do you mind, Doc, first of all, welcome to the show. But second of all, do you mind taking us a little bit on your journey, your PhD work, and then how you got into VAERS and then we're, you know, this, this stuff, COVID world, and then we'll go from there. No, I don't mind at all. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, my name's uh, Jessica um, and I, I do have a PhD in computational biology, but uh, I'm also trained uh, and have degrees in immunology in applied mathematics, biochemistry, and molecular biology. And um, my claim to fame uh, of, of late is my, my VAERS data analysis. So as par for the course of being an academic for almost three decades, uh, I do a lot of data analysis. And my, my meat, it has always been uh, um, viruses with bad pathologies. So I... I'm kind of an expert on HIV. Um, uh, that was what my immunology degree was focused on. Um, cytomegalovirus, hepatitis B virus, et cetera. Um, so I, I know a little bit about uh, everything virus. Um, and so the VAERS data... So when COVID it, came, Doc, were you just curious... Uh, when COVID came along, if you will, and it starts, you know, making making some headlines and stuff, what 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 were you, what were you thinking? What was your perspective at that point? Um, were you were you buying into the traditional narrative? Are you more of a skeptic by nature through your your years and your work, or where were you? Are you just a you look at the data and, and then decide, or or what do you do? What's your thoughts on that? Right. So that's a great question. Um, well, I approached it as uh, who I am. I'm a scientist. So I, when I heard of a zoonotic, well, first of all, let's frame this out, okay? I had just finished my most recent postdoc, and I was, uh, I had bought and paid for a trip to take off to Australia to um, become a professional longboarding champion. Mm -hmm. That's the true story. And I had to divert my plans because the pandemic was declared. So this was uh, 2020, March. And so when this first happened, I did cancel my plans because I was worried. Because when, when a virologist or an immunologist 
or somebody who studies pathognotic or zoonotic, uh, sorry, zoonotic pathogens, hears the word zoonotic pathogen, you have to get worried. Okay. You have to take it seriously. So I did. Of course I did. Everybody did. But um, because of all the other stuff that I was seeing and hearing and reading, it was not long after that that I, that I was putting the pieces together as, as a scientist, as an in investigator, um, that things weren't adding up. It didn't, too much didn't make sense to me. Um, this PCR testing thing was bizarre and the lack of antibody testing was bizarre. The, um, the locking up people and not letting them go more than a hundred meters from their homes was bizarre. Doc, why, if you don't mind, why for you was, because a lot of times for a lot of us, this was the first time that we heard of PCR tests, right? For a lot of us, this was the first time. Antibodies might be a little less weird for us, but certainly uh, to get tested, you know, as often, you know, it was a little weird. Why was that um, uh, concerning to you? If you don't mind, if you don't, you know, to go into full dissertation on PCR, but I, I think it is important because I think people think it's doing something that it's not really doing, right? Or or vice versa, right? Not doing something we think it is. What um, what's your take on the on the PCR? Why did that concern you as a scientist? Well, it's twofold. Um, first of all, uh, PCR is not designed to do what they were using it for, which is to 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 claim that someone is infected with a virus or has infectious virus on them or are considered a so called case so we and we PCR, think we think that yeah so we think if i went and got one of those we think like they almost rode on our assumptions right that that means i'm contagious i'm gonna go spread it to somebody okay so that's how it was kind of given to us yeah okay gotcha yeah that's absolutely false <laughs> uh pcr is simply uh a a technique for amplifying dna so if you i mean we we are just like full of all sorts of DNA that, that aren't our own DNA. I mean, all human beings are, are huge masses of viruses and bacteria and fungi and, and some cells and proteins and lipids and stuff. I mean, if you take a, this is my second point, if you swab the inside of your mouth, for example, or, or your nose, and, and Just you, right now, me, asymptomatic, healthy dude, doing my thing, that's what you mean, not a sick person or a person experiencing symptoms. You just yeah, mean general. No, if, if you just swab for DNA and you use PCR to amplify uh, that DNA, then you're, you're going to pick up like an enormous amount of stuff. So the problem, the one of the first problems I started to see besides, you know, calling this a test in the first place, because mm -hmm. it's an amplification method. It's not a test. It doesn't determine whether someone is sick for example, which is what they were saying, was that there were actual uh, notifications, memos being sent to health authorities. I have, I have copies of these, by the way, so I have paper proof that they were being instructed, the techs who were doing these PCR um, runs, to use a cutoff value of 45 cycles, which means that they were going to run the amplification 45 times, the, the program 45 times, which everybody knows, everybody who's done PCR or knows anything about molecular biology knows that that is 
way too high and you're going to detect basically everything if you let it run that long. So nothing was adding up. Um, and it created a what what I now call a pandemic of testing. Mm. It's not a pandemic of a deadly virus. We all know now this thing is not deadly. We're, we actually really lucked out, if you ask me, because it instead of becoming uh, something more virulent to what we got through this evolution was uh, something less pathogenic, less virulent, and more transmissible, which is excellent because then so- everybody gets but so nobody gets sick. To that to that point, Doc, and just because of you again your history, your work on you know other ones like uh, cytomegalia or HIV, ones that you know I, I'm sure everyone is unique, and I'm not an expert in that area, but because you have had some of that lived life experience and know those intimate details, and coming at this like a scientist, you don't throw a statement like that. Uh, lightly, right? Like, thank goodness this wasn't no. a deadly virus. Like, if it was a, a super bad situation, you'd be on here saying, hey, you know, knucklehead, wake up. This is bad news, right? But you're here. Of course, look- I was. <laughs> I was. I have videos to prove it. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. as you started to see it and, you know, just use your, your mind, and, and I don't know your full background, but you seem to be able to do your work independently and you're not bought and paid. So you get to, you know, use your own brain for your own reasons, which is obviously makes it unique, right? You're, which is important. So that's why we like talking with people like you, because you can just look at the data, interpret it through your expertise, and, and we can discuss, right? So so this became, then you started to become aware this isn't as, as deadly. Now, we understand that for certain people, it was more concerning, right? We understand that, right? High comorbidities, advanced age. Now, and those things probably aren't unique to uh, this virus. This is unique to any virus, right? The older, less healthy we are, we generally are less resilient, right? That's a fair statement. 100%. Yeah. Okay, so you you start having less fear about this. Is that true? You know, you're, you're kind of going, okay, something's a oh, mis- zero fear. Okay. Zero. <laughs> zero fear. So uh, uh, with your background and all the data, you're going, okay, this is nothing to be afraid of. I can go back to Australia, get my longboard. Let's go live life. Except the world changed during that, right? Uh, now you probably weren't even allowed to go to Australia, <clears throat> if you will. Nobody's so- allowed to do anything anymore. <laughs> so yeah, there, there, there's been a complete seizure and disruption of everybody's lives. I mean, I, I haven't gone anywhere now in years and years. I don't even know what airports look like anymore. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, so, okay. So then, and then now that was the early part. Now we come into the vax world, right? We know the vaccine starts to be, you know, well, it was discussed early on, but this whole warp speed thing and all this. So I don't know if you have anything you want to say about, about the vax itself, but do you want to jump right to VAERS? I mean, I'm sure there's, we're going to go back and forth on the vaccine itself because of what we're seeing in VAERS. Um, how did you start going into this piece, the data? I mean, obviously your, your degree and your expertise is in, you know, the data work, but what, what, so what started there? You, you started looking into VAERS? Yeah, so let let me let yeah, me back yeah, because that'll segue nicely into how I got into the VARES. So these aren't vaccines, all right. Um, these are uh, these are something completely novel to humans uh, in in a twofold manner. There are um, the delivery particles called lipid nanoparticles that are brand new to humans. We've never ever ever used them as a delivery vehicle for for mRNA, for example, on such a mass scale in the context of a so-called viral pandemic. Absolutely novel tech. The mRNA itself as a a means to stimulate an immune response in the context of a so-called inoculation, brand new, 
We've never done this before uh, in humans on such a large scale. Yeah, we've never injected something into you to tell your cells to make a spike protein in an attempt to have some sort of immune response. Like that is Frankenstein world, right? We've never, we've just never done that. Historically, our approach to a vaccination was to inject some sort of attenuated or dead version, right? Or fragment and of some sort of virus component or virus itself to get the body. So it's just really important. And I, I just want people to understand that because I think what happened, much like the PCR test, we hijacked uh, people's brains with many assumptions because by even calling it a test, if you would have said, hey, we're amplifying a whole bunch of genetic data that could show all sorts of false positives, does show all sorts of false positives. Matter of fact, the creator of the PCR test himself, we were talking about a little earlier, had stated mm -hmm. many things about this before he's no longer with us, but not about particular to COVID, but about PCR tests in general, right? That they're not diagnostic in the sense that people are often using them. However, so with the COVID vaccine, I just would want a person initially, whether you you know are supportive of it or not, you need to understand that by all definitions of vaccine we've ever used in history, this is not one of those, right? Yeah, and yeah. and most importantly. Like, listen, I'm not I'm not ragging on the tech. I think it's a genius idea, but there are two. No, there are many problems with it. The biggest problem with it is the um, the protein that they chose to encode and the fact that the, the fact that they did modify the spike protein and the way that they modified it. These are extremely problematic. But very importantly, what most people probably don't know is that these conventional types of vaccines, which are uh, foreign proteins, a big mix of them that you, you end up developing a very broad immune response against because there are a number of proteins. Uh, these products, these vaccines, take between five and 15 years to get from concept to the, the human arm, the injection stage. It takes five to 15 years for a very good reason. You have to go through a, a sequence of steps and they have to be sequential to ensure two things that everybody's heard for two years now, safety and efficacy. And those, th that step, all of these steps were skipped. We call it operation warp speed. But what that actually means is we didn't do the proper safety and efficacy work that we should have done that's always been done under the guise that we were in a state of emergency. One of the so, things you, you've said, and I'll let your our listeners know about a, your Substack account so they can, you know, people are becoming more familiar with Substack. So you have a Substack. Doc, you want to say what it is so they can follow you? Is it J Rose or what is it? Is it just car? Car at Substack.com. Okay. Because you have a couple of interesting articles on there. Uh, and I want to touch. Well, hey. A couple. They're all interesting. <laughs> so every article that I read on there was interesting. Um, but the, but the one that, that I'm thinking about right now related to this is, um, and I'm going to, I don't have it in front of me, so correct me. But basically, we operated under the assumption that these don't cause cancer, that these aren't toxic. And I know I, beat that up a little bit because they they rode the coattails of two things, right? Old vaccine um, technology and also that we don't think these individual, we assume these individual components are not dangerous, so we don't have to test them. And I know I'm paraphrasing that, but do you want to explain that one just a little bit? Because again, I think there's massive assumptions that people think, well, I don't know what they did, those big smart doctors, but they tested it somehow and they would know if this was really bad, except they yeah, didn't. No. <laughs> Nobody did what has typically and always been done. 
Um, they did not do, and this is in Pfizer's own documentation. I didn't make this up. This is in Pfizer's documentation, okay? They did not do uh, mutagenic, mutagenicity studies. Here, let me read it because it's really shocking. Well, no, I won't read it because I'm in the middle of writing a substock. They didn't do any of the required studies to test whether or not these products might cause cancer. That's that's the layman way of saying it, okay? They published this, and their reason for not doing it was because, quote, it was not ex an expected result. So they based not doing the proper pharmacokinetic uh, analyses mutagenicity uh, assays, anything related to cancer. They didn't do these because they claimed that they it wouldn't be a problem. And the way that gets marketed to us is safe and effective. What we really should say is That's we right. didn't even look. We assume it's fine. I think you used the analogy. I don't remember if you used cigarettes or something like that, right? Like nobody yeah. wants to find this. Cigarettes, it's all the same shit. Like thalidomide, <laughs> they actually promoted this product with the exact same mantra. I couldn't believe this when I saw it. I screenshotted it. Safe and effective. Thalidomide. Have you guys seen thalidomide babies? Oh, yeah. 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 We've for, done For this morning before. sickness, right? For morning sickness, for nausea. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. We've done this to our, our own people before. And, it, you know, nefariousness or not, it's it's so impossible for me to understand how anyone could not believe even in the remote possibility that something might be going on in terms of safety with these products because of what we're seeing in VAERS, for example. Okay, yeah, and so let's go. So, so you're somewhat skeptical, uh, and I don't even want to call it, you're just a scientist. You're just doing your work, looking at the yeah. data. I won't believe it till I see it. Show me the data. Oh, no, you don't have the data? Well, that's that's a concern, right? We didn't do that. That's weird. You know? 75 years to release the data? <laughs> I just can't, right? Like, if it wasn't so ridiculous, it'd be hilarious. But it's 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 destroyed people's lives. It's destroyed economies. It's destroyed nations. It's destroyed uh, trust in many you know institutions. Now, some of that, I believe, needs to happen. But my goodness, right? This yeah. has been devastating to so many people. And, and I don't really see an end in sight in some ways. So you start saying, okay, I'm going to dive into, uh, well, let's, you know, I guess let's go to real world data then, right? If you, if you, if you jacked it all up and you just went ahead and enrolled everybody in your experiment, um, live time and billions of people, well, let's see what's being reported. So you start looking into VAERS, right? And I think I heard you say you came in kind of agnostic to it, right? Like, I don't know. Let's, you know, well, I didn't go in with questions. The reason I started looking at it was because, uh, I, I, I was I needed something to do because my life got diverted. So I, I've always wanted to teach myself how to code. So I started with a statistical coding language called R. And then the best way to teach yourself something is to like do it by example or use examples. So I chose, I thought, okay, I'll, I have to pick a data set. So the VAERS data is accessible. And because this was, I, I just, you know, I knew something was going to happen in VAERS. I, I, I just know too much about viruses and mm. epidemiology and all this stuff not to not to have at least you know predicted on some level that these things were going to be causing a serious number of uh, adverse events and and I wasn't wrong and it's not just in VAERS, it's in the Uter system in the yellow card system in Europe and the UK 
over a million reports so far, which is not even, it's not even remotely comparable to the past. VAERS has been on the go for like 30 years. It's the brainchild of the FDA and the CDC. It's a pharmacovigilance tool, which means that it is designed to produce safety signals from data. And, and these data are individual people who, who file uh, reports of adverse events in the context in temporal proximity to a vaccine, for example. Um, these... Uh, which often are reported by by physicians. We had Dr. McCullough on a couple of weeks ago, yes. and so you know, and he not that he fully defended VARES, but he just said, "Hey, understand." I think he said eighty six percent of the 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 you know uh, uh, entries are from physicians, right? So like this isn't yeah. this you know it's gotten a bad name in some and it, and it and it and and likely, and I think you'd agree with this, Doc. It's it's likely only worse than what's been reported. I think we can say that uh, no risk of underreporting, right? So it's only probably yeah. worse than that. But you used an example, and maybe this will help frame it for somebody, because I think you used a word that's important. This isn't. This is designed to show signals, right? And so, it's, what do we need to look for? Oh my gosh, is there something? So, can you give us a little perspective on what historically there's? You know, what have we seen on an annual basis? And I think you used an example of rotavirus because I think that helps us mm-hmm. see. Okay, well, what would be a concern? Is a thousand injuries a concern? Is fifty thousand right? And what have we had historically? Because I think. We have that data, so we can do this. So what did you start to find, or maybe give us kind of a perspective to look at this through? Yeah, so just to follow through uh, on the historical component, um, it's a pharmacovigilance tool that's designed to detect safety signals that were not detected in pre-market testing or clinical trials. So the, 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 the bodies, the entities that are, whose job it is to make sure that products that go into humans like pharmaceuticals or biologicals, which vaccines are, are, are safe post marketing. So they, they, they've done their job in the past uh, to a degree. For example, in 1999, uh, shortly after the rotavirus vaccine was rolled out, there were 15 cases, 15, one five cases of intussusception, which is like folding over of the bowel, which is extremely painful and dangerous. Um, that caused the removal of that product from the human population. 15. And so 15, one five. So historically in VAERS, uh, the total number of adverse events reported uh, in the context of all the vaccines combined in the U.S., and this is a lot of vaccines, okay, um, has been somewhere on average about 40,000 for the past 30 years. Per year. So... Per year, yeah, 40,000 okay. reports in total. Yep. And of those, it's prob- it's something about 160 deaths. Okay. Um, so this, this is like the norm. And whenever you're looking at... And, and um, that's just for anybody listening. I just want to speak for those. I, I don't want to downplay any one of those injuries, and I am not downplaying any single one of those deaths. If that was you or your child or your friend that suffered an injury at the hands of a vaccination or it's then listen like and i don't i'm not apologizing for you doc i just want people to understand those all matter and i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done even on our existing personally it's been just me talking that needs to be done on our vaccine schedules that disease deserves a deeper look right even though this one was done extra bad there's concerns with many of the others i'm not saying you're saying that i'm saying that but um, I just wanted to add that caveat. Sorry, Doc. 
Go ahead. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's one of my motivations because yeah, okay. I'm analyzing data, but these aren't data points. These yeah. are individuals suffering. And that bothers the hell out of me because we are looking at now in the context of just three of the different COVID-19 injectable products, over a million reports of adverse events, 18% of which are considered severe, which does include death, and including spontaneous abortions, which are also off you know, the charts as compared with historical uh, counts. We're almost, we're, we're over 28,000 deaths, 28,000. Now people might on VAERS, but the biggest problem in VAERS is not, you know, false entries. It's it's a federal crime to submit a false right. entry to VAERS. It's highly vetted, okay? Um, the, the biggest problem with VAERS is the underreporting factor, and the CDC and the FDA acknowledge this. But they won't acknowledge what the underreporting factor here in this particular case is. And there are a number of us who have uh, uh, calculated estimates. For COVID Mine data? You're just talking right yeah. now for COVID data? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yes, events and VAERS in the context of COVID. So I use the Pfizer phase three clinical trial <clears throat> um, in order to make my estimation, which is the most um, conservative. So my estimate is 31, and that was based on severe adverse events, which includes death, a life-threatening illness, a disability. Disabilities are off the chart as well, and that's mostly because of neurological dysfunctions, um, birth defects, hospitalization, and emergency room visits. 31% so, or 31 times? No, 31 times. This is a multiplication factor. So what wow. that means is that whatever number you have, depending on the adverse event, because right. all the adverse events are going to have their their own um, underreporting yeah, factor. Gotcha. For example, chills and death aren't going to be underreported in the same way, right? right? So, but you do have to multiply every single number by something in order to get a a better idea of what the actual number of people who are suffering is. Because only a certain, it's just human psychology, right? Only a certain percentage of people within any population are ever going to report an adverse event, even if they know that yeah. they're suffering the hands of something, you know. Well, Doc, this isn't, gonna- this isn't weird. I'm just thinking about HIV or I'm even thinking about something like diabetes. Like when some of this work where you go and do, you have to make, um, if you go in and you test a certain percentage of a population, you find out there's an, a, you know, there's a population, you know, rate, positivity rate of HIV of X percent. You're, go- you're not saying it's perfect, but you say, hey, we probably have maybe this many cases. Like I know with diabetes right now, there's so many people, they just have never tested themselves. They have no idea what their blood sugars are or what their blood pressure is. And I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but like this isn't crazy, right? You know, we, we understand that the, the model's not perfect, VAERS. So we understand it's likely underreported. We're just trying to figure out how how much that is. And so you went to fa- Pfizer data that the companies that made it and saw what didn't make, basically what didn't make it out of their own reporting, right? Whether excluded or or who knows, right? Like you said, nefarious. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons it could have happened. Um, I think we can make some assumptions on what that is. Um, won't make you make those assumptions. But okay, so you start looking at this data. And, and there's been a lot recently about millennials. And I don't, and there's a lot we could focus on. But some of that is shocking. Because I think the argument made for even a lot of people to get the vaccine, especially our children, it was, hey, you know, as the narrative went along, we know it's more dangerous for elderly and sick and comorbidities. So hey, we need everybody to get the shot, including kids, because that's going to help protect everybody else. 
However, we've seen something happen in our 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 you know our our younger gen. Do they call it Gen X? Is that what they're calling it? Or Gen Z? Yeah, you know, I the, think I'm Gen X. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So what? So but there was a massive spike, a massive signal that happened that you saw through the data. Do you mind explaining that to us? Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's it's not a litigious thing and it's not rhetoric. It's just theirs is, you know, it's flawed, but it is functioning very well as a pharmacovigilance tool right now. And it is emitting so many safety signals on the subject of so many different types of adverse events. I mean, everybody knows the word myocarditis, right? Now, now they do. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inflammation of the the middle layer of the heart, the musculature of the heart that allows the heart to beat, and this is m- more more prevalent in little boys. Fifteen year old boys have a fourfold higher reporting rate of myocarditis after the second dose than anyone else. Anyone else, even old people. So something is very wrong here. And even the CDC and the FDA have owned up to this, but they haven't done it properly because they keep referring to this as mild and transient. Neither of those two things is correct, according to all of the lead cardiologists that I've spoken to on the subject matter. So, um, yeah, something is rotten in the state of Delaware. Sorry, Delaware. and uh, yeah, what what did I, I, you sparked something and now I forgot what it was going to be. Well, I anyway. think what, the, well, the one thing I'm wondering about is, you know, so this whole generation or group of people. Oh, and, right. And, the millennials. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, they took the, they, they, you know, many of them bought into this, uh, uh, inaccurate information, in my opinion, went and got the jab thinking they're doing it for the good, you know, the good of everybody else, even though we now yeah, know so this doesn't really stop infection, doesn't stop transmission. However, they did it, but they're suffering some serious consequences, i.e. massive death spike. Like, and this is verified by the data. Yeah. So that's, that's the big question now, because there is an 84% increase in deaths in millennials. These are 18 years what are they? 25 to 44 year olds. This is very strange and nobody knows why. So some people think, oh, well, you know, it's the opioids. Uh, some people think it's suicides. Some people think it's um, car accidents. And, and those things are components. But I looked at this. I looked at this and they don't comprise a high enough percentage to, to comprise that 84. So something else is involved. And one of the things I'm still looking at is if there's a way that I can provide evidence that um, the injections are playing a role uh, using the VAERS data, for example, and I haven't I haven't got a definitive answer yet, but um, listen, on, on the subject of mass vaccinating, I am gonna use the word vaccinating here, um, across all age groups with a non-sterilizing product, it's insanity. Non-sterilizing no for our listeners, non-sterilizing meaning stops it, you know, stops it at source, stops it from being able to replicate or transmit to Provides somebody. Provides protective immunity, yes. Okay, yeah, okay, gotcha. So it's it's insanity. Any vaccinologist, any immunologist, anyone with half a grain of knowledge and training will agree with that statement. We don't need to be doing or pushing this narrative that's being pushed. It's very strange to us who know about this stuff. Um, people basically under, I think the age 
is 55 that they're, they quote, under 55, aren't really affected by this. Right. And this is the opinion. This is the data speaking. The infection fatality rate is virtually zero, and it's even lower than that for children. Incredible innate immune system responses with IgA loaded up in their noses. They are not affected by COVID. And like you said um, earlier, like when I look at this, Doc, this data, I look at this, there's so much to celebrate like there could be such a different yes. narrative yes look at how amazing our innate immune systems are look at how incredible most people do with this but we decided to you know we didn't but i mean the the script was flipped where it was how we took 0. 0.00 and turned that into everybody is dying if you're not you know wearing a you know a kleenex across your face and taking an ineffective test um, you know that's unreliable or not designed to do what it's saying it's doing rather and the solution it's that is basically showing that you have cold virus particles residual cold virus particles that are detected and amplified which that's would be all be. of us right i mean it's all funny thinking about you with your background in vi virology and everything else like it is it always freaks people out i try to at my office as a chiropractor working with patients i try to explain them like you have so many viruses in you right now and like if you're really afraid of them like just listen you're 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 like already way dead you know what i mean um now of course we understand just lock yourself in your house and put a mask on and never talk to anyone again <laughs> that, see you <laughs> and i we laugh about that people actually do that what you just said you know i, know. I just uh they yeah they should yeah shaking our head i know i'm uh, for our listeners i'm i'm what well, me and doc are on uh, zoom here so i can see her reactions and she's shaking her head right as she says that you guys um, don't need to be afraid. I promise you. I, I've, I've been saying this for well over a year now, and I'm saying this because I'm not afraid because I know the truth of this, uh, of the, of the immunology, let's say. So if when you, you have a function. Yeah. Well, so when you, one thing I wanted to, cause I think this is important because as you're trying, not that you have to defend yourself by any stretch, but when you stick your neck out there, right, people want to start to throw arrows and things like that. So you used a process and through your training that's called, and it's new to me, but I just want you to speak on I think I'm saying it right, Doc, Bradford Hill. Is that a, an analysis mm -hmm. or an approach to looking at data? For example, this would be something that the World Health Organization uses to say, hey, is there an issue going on? They probably yes. use that process for the rotavirus. Yes. That's where they maybe yeah. help see that signal. So can you just talk us through a little bit the Bradford Hill and then how you, because this isn't just Jessica Rose making up scenarios in her basement to try to figure out how to look at data. So it makes, you know. I wish. <laughs> you want the Jessica Rose model? Is that what this is all about? Okay, I see. Sit in my basement making up rules. God, I'd love to be that person. <laughs> so... Assuming you're not that person yet, you actually follow uh, other 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 guidelines. Um, what what did you when you applied that? What did you find? Because I I I, I want people to have confidence in mm -hmm. you know not only what you're saying, but uh, what I would just call the truth, right? You know, an interpretation of that yeah. data. So go ahead and explain that a little bit for us. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, first of all, the WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, does in fact assess causality uh, uh, in, in, with reference to vaccines, biologicals, and pharmaceuticals. This is one of the, the most important jobs of our regulatory bodies to determine the using the, the Bradford Hill criteria, for example, which is a criterion uh, designed by Sir Austin Bradford Hill um, to, to provide strong evidence of a causal effect using epidemiological or biological data. This is the most um, um, 
a, what's that word? Um, reliable way to do it. And this is what the who actually uses. It makes and me it think of like, Coke, fact, you know, Coke's, pos- Coke's postulate or something, right? Just a model of something to use to say, is this real? Right? Is this happening? What kind of parameters can we put on something to make sure we're not fooling ourselves? Right? Yeah, what- if you satisfy 10 out of 10 of these criteria, there are 10, then it's very, 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 very likely. And the, the who's uh, classification, actually not three varies, but just one, very likely that there is a causal effect. So it, it's only, it's, it's logic. Like, it's a proof, basically. So the thing is, uh, I have proven 10 out of 10 uh, wow. using the Bradford criteria. And all you have to do to disprove a causal effect is to disprove one. It's very easy. Onus is on them to disprove or, or to prove that the products are safe. Yeah. It's not on us to prove that they're not. This is not our job. And we're not so, to be lab so, rats to prove to prove it either, right? We're not to be mandated to be well, lab yeah, rats. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if 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 let's just say, for example, consider that these products actually are causing as much damage as it looks like they're causing from the data. Imagine the disaster that we have imposed on ourselves. Yes, it's just it's it's mind boggling to me, and the fact that. This this traditional method, this this highly respected method to provide evidence of causation from epidemiological data is not being used in this way, in this particular situation is strange because I've done it. You know, it's like uh, I, nobody asked me to do it. I'm not getting paid to do this. Right. You know, it's like I'm 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 a nerd. <laughs> I love data. I love science. I love asking questions. I don't go in with answers. No, no one does. It's not smart to be biased. And it's just very easy to show that each one of these criteria is satisfied. For example, one of them is temporality. This is a no-brainer. Uh, one thing has to precede the other in in order for there to be a causal effect. And the shorter the time dis- dif- distance between those two things the more likely that there is a causal effect. So, of course, the injections precede the adverse event. And if that happens within 15 minutes, you can be pretty sure that that point is satisfied. Another one is specificity. If you look within a population that is really unlikely to be suffering in a certain way at the hands of of something like a vaccine, and you find that it's happening in that rare population, then that's more evidence. For example, if children, prepubescent children, are having heart attacks that are landing them in the hospital, and it hasn't been happening before, you have to look at that as a specific concern. If athletes at the prime of their careers, young, 30 years old, healthy as a horse, you know, if they are dropping dead on on the court or on the field from some kind of weird cardiac event, that's also highly unlikely. That doesn't happen. So you have to look at that. So these are the types of things in the Bradford Hill criteria that you have to satisfy. And like I said, there aren't one or two. I think the WHO's criteria says that you have to satisfy five, but I, in fact, satisfied all 10. So when we look and at was- the... We look at this. We're, you know, we're you're a, 
um, just, you know, the, the average person that's been trying to navigate this and, and, you know, we've all, not all, well, some of us took part in this experiment as the control group. I'm proud to say I was in the control group. Um, but every, but uh, many people took this, uh, experimental, you know, um, uh, chemicals and nanoparticles and lipids and all this stuff. And it's, it's changed mm-hmm. the game. And I think like you said, doc, um, you know, the implications I, I was, as you talked about that, it made me think about how hard they tried to cover up the injuries happening to football players, right? Through, through the, yeah, the, they still are. Yeah, they still are. Yet, 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 you know, that was a, and I don't downplay this, but you know, that was a handful of professional football players. And the implications of this was, you know, football could be impacted. Um, this is something that we've done to billions of people. Just anecdotally, I, by the patients I see in my office, hearing the stories of, I just had one happen yesterday to one of my staff members, yep. grandmothers, fine, or fine, 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 62 years old, next thing you know, stage four cancer, like out of the blue. I, yeah, yeah. I've been doing this almost 20 years. I've never had so many of those stories in my life, right? Which exactly. was, I got the jab, alone, I got the booster, grandma has cancer. My uncle has cancer, yep. XYZ lymphoma. And I'm going, and again, I'm not even using the data that you're using, but so, and I don't know if you, and you maybe mentioned this, you know, part of this is you're just bringing awareness. Your job isn't to solve all of the problems, right? I mean, we each play our different role in this, right? Um, no, and I know. don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you got um, but, you know, how would you, how do you want to, uh, sake for time, and we're so grateful to have you on here today, but where are you at now? What would you encourage us as as a lay public? And I'm not asking you to doctor over the airwaves here. I just mean, how should we see this? What can we do on an individual level? Um, Dr. McCullough uh, a few weeks ago was very clear, like, uh, you know, I mean, essentially saying like, and then we had Dr. Geer, uh, Vandenbosch on as well saying like, stop getting the jab. Stop. It's a, there's a dose dependency to this, right? Some of the data you uncovered yeah. was there was a dose relationship. You know, four shots yeah. is is worse than one shot. You know, so, so, you know, wake up, look at the data, you know, do what you want. I believe in medical freedom of choice, but, 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 you know, if you're concerned, you have reason to be concerned. And if you're, if it ends up proving out to be as bad as we think it is, the least you've done of this, the better, um, you know, the least amount of times you've shoved this thing into your body, the better you are. Um, what are you seeing? What is your take? What is your thoughts? We're seeing some of the negative efficacy stuff coming out. We're seeing certain nations that are super jabbed, doing very poorly, right? Getting worse and worse. Um, what do we do? What, any any hope for us? Okay. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I still love uh, people and I believe in the good in people. I, I try and project that as much as I can. The The we have to take care of ourselves as individuals, okay? Um, we don't have stuff. We have this. We have our vessel. Um, we have our freedom. We have our uh, in- inalienable rights. And we have to treasure these things like they're the most sacred thing on the planet because they basically are. Um, if you're actually concerned, I'm saying this with all my expertise, if you're concerned about getting sick from a virus, then do one thing for me today. Go get your vitamin D uh, level checked. Make sure you're not deficient. And if you are, make sure you're not very soon by supplementing or spending time in the sunshine if it's possible. I promise you that that is going to make you impenetrable to most viruses. If your vitamin D levels are in check, 
And of course, if you yeah. eat healthy and drink Doc, are you water, saying this and, also, and you would have probably said this two years ago, right? Through your work with viruses, right? This isn't well, just a COVID yeah, scenario, yeah. right? No. I just want people to understand, right? This, is, this, no, this has been known, this is, this, yeah, the, resiliency yeah. of a human immune system relates to vitamin D levels. People are learning more of this, of course, through COVID, and it doesn't make mainstream quite as much. I mean, I've never seen one commercial or billboard about getting my vitamin D levels. I've seen plenty about getting jabbed. Yeah, right? But, but no, but Imagine I, if they were pumping that <laughs> message out into the population, how different things would be. Oh, God forbid. You know, like, Zelenko is promoting the use of um, zinc, which is a great idea because, you know, you can get zinc uh, naturally from certain foods, I think from uh, from fish and nuts and things like this. Um, And you can supplement as well, but I'm I'm more about uh, getting things from natural food sources because context matters. Um, and zinc is an antiviral uh, metal. It, it, it's inside of your cells, and it's one of the ways that your your body uh, depromotes in, infectious or the infection process of cells from viruses. So it's like the 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 internalism of viral disinfection, and and so like. These are the very, very simple things. Um, you said something just, too earlier. You said, I think I said, um, so you're not concerned about this. And then I think you corrected me and you no. said, I have zero fear, right? Zero. And I think about people, uh, and, and not to put words in your mouth, but you know, we talk about vitamin D levels. And I think another thing is coming to grips with so much of the anxiety and stress people have put themselves under that is, that is unfounded. And that has implications on our immune system. That has implications on the decisions that we make. I mean, very real implications, like blood level changes to your immune response based on the stress and the stress response and sympathetic dominance, all the things, right? So, so yeah, Yeah. so also part of this, even though somebody's always people want to ask, like, well, vitamins should I take? What supplement should I take? And listen, I'm supportive of that. That's my world. That's what I live in. However, I also don't want to, don't want to downplay just the reality of, of, being fearless, right? Just understanding, understanding there's not this secret bad boy virus that's hiding on your table waiting to jump into your eyeball and kill you, right? That's just not the reality of what's happening. And so you are helping us, I think, see that uh, through your work, through the data. um, And, and it's important. Yeah. The the work um, needs to be done at the individual. And you said something really important Um, in order to become fearless. I think, you you have to um, promote your understanding of the way that things actually work. And, and this comes with accessing knowledge, I think. Not just, you know, from reading books, but from being uh, in your environment, like um, existing uh, in, in this gorgeous harmony that we are in with our planet and everything that lives on it. Um, and that does include the sunshine. It does include the water. I'm a surfer. So, I mean, I, I, I feel, I literally feel the difference. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's a hundred percent. It's not like a little bit. It's like night and day when I go surfing versus when there aren't waves. It's, it's a, um, it's a very uh, healthy experience. Let's put it that way. 
Um, when you say so people, people need to have this this information, or I mean, that's not quite what you said, but you know, can maybe this would be a good time to tell people how do they follow you? How do they? Uh, I know you referenced a little earlier. You're don't follow be, me. You're, well, yeah, you're dropping a, a pretty <laughs> no, a pretty important article on um, so your Substack uh, in a, in a, in a bit here. Um, you know, about some information that's going to be really important for people. I know you're um, so and in this yeah, on the subject of, of being followed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Well, on so, and on, um, you know, um, so in the, this era of censorship and all these things, how do people stay up to date with your work? Um, because this is ongoing, right? You're we haven't we're not done yeah. with this. So what what's the best ways to follow you? Well, yeah, sorry again so, to track your work. Maybe I'll say. Yeah. Don't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want to read what I'm writing, you go. can go to my Substack. This is uh, jessicar.substack.com. And I also created a, a really nifty website called Jessica's Universe, where I have all my weekly VAERS updates and some analyses, my publications, my CV, uh, all sorts of goodies that you can find there. Um, but yeah, I you know, on the subject of following... I think everyone should like follow their intuition. Mm. Uh, everybody has to kind of know by now, you know, that something's not right um, on some level. I mean, I'm Canadian. Um, what's happening in Canada right now is so abysmal. Um, it's it's not akin to anything that would ever happen in a true democracy. Something very bad is happening in Canada right now, in my opinion. Um civilians shouldn't be getting arrested for doing legal things. That's the best way I can put it. No one has, in, 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 with, with reference to the trucker protest, nobody yeah. did anything illegal. They insisted on not doing anything illegal and on keeping things um, civilized and, and polite. And just like, you know, all Canadian, you know, most Canadian yeah, yeah. people are. I have to laugh. Uh, I've got several Canadian friends and doctor friends, and it was the it was the kindest uh, rally or yeah. or, or uh, <laughs> riot. Well, yeah. not you know, I mean the way that, but it was. I mean, when you got bounce houses and hockey rinks and you know, sing songs and music. It's, like, it's Canadians. <laughs> it's who we are. I mean, you don't have to. You know, most people probably wouldn't believe that that's what it was like because they'd be like, no, nobody's that nice, and it's yeah. like, yeah, we are. Some of my friends I joke about because because you know, but I have friends too that that are literally leaving and, and immigrating away from Canada because yeah. they said this yep. isn't the Canada. You know, we all understand no. some of the socialized medicine stuff. I mean, it's always gets you know, you can have your debates on that, but as a nation, I mean, that you guys have a version of a constitution or a contract that you you know right it, it believed the to Canadian be honored. Yeah, so this this is like nothing you've seen before either, right? No, uh, no, as no, a no, Canadian. no, no, no. It's yeah. the Canadian Charter is being violated and abused. Um, that that is not a. It's not a, um, my opinion. That's that's a fact. If you read the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and all the the sub uh, sections, you'll you'll see you'll you'll find a number of uh, of places where it has been violated. Um, People can't move freely in, in the land of the free. That you know, kind of, people can go and, and see their families. People yeah. are having their bank accounts seized for no reason I, at all. I had a like patient. You need probable cause to do that. I had a patient. I have just a couple last thoughts and we'll let you go. I had a patient the other day. Well, I've known her for a long time and 
Um, she works at Starbucks, right? And she's from Toronto, and she's from Canada, and her mother lives up there. And when I first, when this whole thing was first going on, I was, you know, essentially, I, just my perspective on this, I, I kind of smelled it early as well. So I thought this thing was ridiculous very early on. Well, I showed up one day at the drive-thru, and, and I hadn't seen her in a while, and she was almost offended by my take on it, right? She thought I was being, you know, irresponsible, and she thought my perspective was not right. But what was her basis for feeling she, that Yeah, way? Just, the, feeling. just the whole it's thing, emotion. right? Just the whole fear, right? Well, I hadn't seen her again for about a year, and then yes, or last week or so, I walked into Starbucks, and literally she came around, and, and she gave me a hug, and I said, oh my gosh, how Aww. are you doing, and I haven't seen you, and she goes, well, um, I, I was gone because um, my mom died. And I said, I'm sorry, what, what, what happened? She goes, Dr. Ben, the lockdown killed her. Oh, no. And she said they, you know, they were very strict up there, right? She couldn't see people. She couldn't go out. Oh, I, she know, I know. And so she said, I literally watched it kill my mom. And so as, yeah. I'm, as I'm sitting here and I'm just thinking r- really quickly about the VARES data, and I'm going, Doc, as you just step out of this for a minute, how on earth? I mean, we've all seen the VARES graphs, right? You know, nothing, 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 nothing. Massive spike of a million. Yeah, those are my graphs. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Everybody's seen your graphs, and you go, you can't. Any my 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 any, a five year old could look at that and go, something's not right. Hey, what happened right there when it spiked like that? Uh, that was right around with COVID shots. That's weird. You know, it's like, how are they going to get out of this? Because yeah, there's no there's no bump. It, like what I'm calling it is the skyscraper and the bungalow yeah. graph. So for 30 years, we have bungalows, including 2020, which is when we were ravaged by COVID. <laughs> and then in 2021, we have this skyscraper. Okay. So it looks like a huge L. And if, if, if COVID was the reason for all of these deaths, like a lot of people will claim, then we would have seen a spike in 2020 as well. I think yeah. because there, you know, some people are also saying, well, you know, no more people know about VARES and yep, blah, yep, blah, yep, blah. Yep, it's yep. like, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. Most people that I know have no idea what VARES is. Because if they have to admit that this did what it, the data shows that it did, we have big tobacco, thalidomide, <laughs> you know, um, brain injuries. We've got it. We've got it's the worst thing. One of the worst things that's ever happened to global humanity. Oh, it, will, it will be, it will go down in history as the worst thing that pharma companies have been responsible for. I mean, I, I'm not sure how the, you know, the litigation yeah. will be framed, but there, there's no doubt. I mean, it's just, it's just sheer numbers, right? Five billion people have been injected. A certain percentage of those people have been affected negatively, and we still don't know why. We don't know who those populations are definitively. And we don't we don't need to make any claims. All we have to do is look at the VAERS data and say there is a an association, a specific association between these products and the number of adverse event yeah. reports, which is statistically significantly off the charts when you compare it to anything from the past, all the vaccines combined in the yeah. past. There's no comparison here. Something is wrong. Well, Doc, we are thankful, uh, not just us, so many people in the world. We needed 
we needed one of you on the team, if you will, right? We needed somebody with your expertise. And uh, you know what? I, I, I guess the lockdown did one good thing. It made you so damn bored. You said, well, I'm going to learn how to code <laughs> and I can't surf right now because uh, whatever. And so I'm going to go. I got to still be useful and feel like I'm producing something for this world. And so even though well, you- I've actually got a lot of like beautiful invitations to have a place to stay in Byron Bay and Noosa and stuff. So like if, if I ever get to Australia, you know, I'll have a place to stay. <laughs> well, I know we don't have great surfing in Florida, but if you make it to Florida, we'll, we'll make sure you have a good time in Florida. That's where we're at. So oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, nice. we don't have uh, we don't have a lot to. Uh, well, no, actually, Florida has been pretty good during this pandemic. We're thankful for our yeah, governor. You know, making Kelly some Slater's from Florida, yeah, but he He's from there, so he, he's like, you know, one of the best surfers in the world. He's also on our side, by the way. I've heard that. I've heard that. All, it's all you surfers. You're out there connecting with the universe, and it all makes sense when you're out on the waves. I've had so many surfer buddies. I'm not a surfer, but so many surfer friends. Like, they try to talk to me about surfing, and it's like they're talking about, like, I'm like, it can't. I've got to learn because it must be that good. But they talk to me like they're in another universe. I'm like, Dude. Yeah, we, we are, buddy. We yeah. are. Okay. Like, ben, ben, hang on. Where do you get off downplaying? You... Uh, he, he's downplaying Florida waves here, okay? Oh, well, when a hurricane hits, all right, that's when you come on now, Jessica. That's where you got to roll I right here. I don't like hurricane waves, all right? <laughs> I, I had roommates in college that like a hurricane would hit, and it's like, what are you guys doing? We're going well, out to the surf. And I'm like, are you out of your minds? Like, that's the mind of a surfer. Well, right I'm there, originally so. from South Dakota, yeah. so mind you that uh, I don't know anything about waves or oceans. So we pull each other behind a boat, and we call that <laughs> surfing, right? So. Um, <laughs> Well, it's okay too. You know, whatever you can get. Um, <laughs> well, well, Doc, thank you so much for uh, just what you do and for telling the truth. And we pray for the work you're doing and continued work. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Great. It was my pleasure and a lot of fun too. Thanks. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll talk soon. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic. 